there's always that slightly negative perception at different levels within the business about security. And when you come into the to a new business or an organization and you approach it this way, you can you can actually get people to go, did security really just not say no? And did they really say something else? <laughs> did they actually provide some guidance or something a little bit different? Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's James Allen McLean. Group CISO at Solitange Fresenay and former information security manager within the British military. We're talking today about his notion of open door security, and it's a concept that resonates quite well with my own take on the CISO craft, and I'm having a great time talking with him about it. James, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thanks for having me, Alan. Great to be here. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in cyber and a bit about your day job? Yeah, so my interest in IT started many years ago, and like some CISOs probably manifested in gaming. But then I started to think about what if I did this or what if I did that? naturally sort of led me to thinking about how things connect and then kind of down the security realm that many years later I joined the military I served for um, eight years in in the British Army and then I left there and I'm currently in my first CISO role with a company called Salatan Shrezene which is part of the Vinci Group. Your company is a very complex very large beast is it not? Yeah, yeah, that's probably a fair way to describe it. So I'm a CISO for a company called Solitant Resonate, as we know, and the company has around between 250 and 300 individual businesses within that company forming across six business lines. Mainly, we stabilize the soil uh, and soil structures in, in the ground uh, in order for building and construction to, to, to go on top as and when required. So yeah, my role's global with my team. And it's interesting. We do some innovative stuff with digital technology, so LIDAR scanning of buildings, you know, mapping above and below grounds. But we also develop custom applications as well. And I guess for me, when I went into the construction industry, I didn't really expect that. So that's some of the interesting aspects of, of the role. That's cool. All right. So let's get into this concept of open door security. Why don't you tell us first, what is open door security? So... This is kind of an approach that I've used in my current role. I use in my current role, but it's also an approach I used in my previous role in information security. So really what it's about, it's about transparency. It's allowing the employees to come and speak to security. No strings attached. You know, come and come and say hello, voice your concern, tell us what your problem is, but don't feel like we're gonna say no. That's one aspect of it. Another aspect is, you know, it's it's about being upfront and, and kind of honest with employees about, you know, what we're doing and, and why we want, we're monitoring different systems and, you know, what tools we're using to do that, you know, not specifically the brand or, or whatever, but really what this tool does and, you know, why we do this. But it's also about sharing when things go wrong. So, you know, I don't always get things right in my role and neither does my team, but if we foster a learning environment, then we create the conditions for everybody to naturally improve. And, you know, if we coming back to sharing that with the employees and, and being honest and upfront and say, you know, we got this wrong here, or actually our position on this wasn't quite right. It really creates that, the conditions in the organization for people to come forward. And, and I guess another aspect is it's about education of all employees. But, you know, I think 
I perceived this or did perceive this to be as, you know, typically of educating employees within the organization at work. But actually, I, you know, I encourage my team and we think about security as, as an end-to-end thing, not just in the office. We think about it at home. So, you know, we don't just provide advice and guidance for protecting the work identity. You know, if there's a if there's an employee where we can make some attribution and we, you know, we find some research or we get some threat intelligence that suggests some other accounts have been compromised, we, we share that and educate employees that way as well. And and actually, employees really value it. They, you know, they on the experience like, oh, I didn't even realize that this had happened. It's like, well, we're sharing it with you. We're not a problem. We're here to come and help you. And um, and I guess it's being proactive rather than reactive. So. With the approach, you'll still have to go and speak to people in the business. You still have to go and encourage them to come in. But once word gets out that actually, hold on a minute, secu- I went and spoke to security the other day and they didn't say no, but they said, what about doing it this way or in this way and maybe thinking about considering using this person to help design this particular system? People started coming in, certainly. It was one of the things that happened in my last role. And, you know, it's that, you know, the transparency, the forward leaning and, you know, and, and just being honest with employees, you know, really is what the approach is about. I love that. And and I'm trying to figure out how you got that started in the military culture, because in the military culture, you know, and it, it seems a bit incongruous to me because you've got sort of need to know, right? There's less transparency and candor. And you've also got a, a relatively rigid hierarchy there. And it sounds like what you're doing is sort of busting both of those doors down. So how did you juggle all that in the military? And I guess maybe part of it is the whole security saves lives aspect of it. People wanted to embrace it, but but how did you pull that off? Yeah, Alan, you're entirely right, actually. You know, typically security in the military is something that is taught to everyone. And it's something that everybody naturally does need to know in the principal least privilege are regularly and robustly enforced. However, during my last role within the military, I was in a I was in a fortunate position which enabled me to see across all of the silos without being accountable to anybody that was running the silos, being accountable to, you know, higher up the food chain, the chain of command. And with that, it kind of permitted me to engage with these different stakeholders and go and see, you know, problem one and problem two and problem three. And then over time, as I started to get more comfortable in the role and and the organization adjusted to, you know, my ways of working and, you know, my approach, people would come in and see me and see the team that, you know, they'd say, well, we're doing it this way and we're thinking about that. But what do you think? So it was quite interesting because, you know, like you say, you know, I was in a very fortunate position that did provide me with the access to many different areas. But because everybody was such an innovator, everybody wanted to try and do something new. And, it, you know, a lot of the, the place where I worked was around innovation and creating new ways of working and new solutions to big military problems. I was fortunate enough to go into those different areas and, and kind of I could draw the lines between them and say, well, have you thought about, you know, problem one over there? They're doing this particular thing, but actually it relates to what you're doing here. But if you build it in this way with the fifth problem over here that's building the core infrastructure for what you're looking to do, then actually you can work together whilst maintaining the relevant silos that you that you need to for the right reasons. But actually you're doing it with more expertise, it's quicker, it's cheaper, and it's safer. So it kind of started there and worked its way out. So I like that. So so how do you know you're winning at this, right? Like what are the signs that it's working? It's an interesting one. So when I first turned up at my last role, the organization or the office was just kind of a stopping point on the way to somewhere else for the employees, you know, they'd come along and, well, I'm not really sure I'm meant to be here. Or can you tell me where this place is within the building? 
and it kind of just became like somewhere that people would pass by. But over the you know two years that I was in the, in the role, people started coming to the office and asking questions. The team that worked with us, we didn't really take any negative approach with the way we were doing this. We kind of let people come in, talk about what they were doing, and then we'd kind of provide some you know more handrails or more guidance on well, maybe you should do it this way. Over time, people started just coming in. We didn't ask them to. They just turned up at the door and say, you know, hey, James, we've got this problem. We're doing this with this. What do you think? And then we'll be like, I can see what you're trying to do. And then it would be a case of, well, did you know in silo one, these guys are doing this or in silo three, these guys and girls are doing that? You know, have you thought about using that infrastructure to host this particular thing that you're trying to do? So it, it kind of became a two-way thing. People would come in and talk to us and, you know, present the problems that they were working on without us even asking them to come in. And to answer your question, when people come to security and tell you everything they're doing, that's a real win. That's a real win. <laughs> yeah. That, I guess that's really the benchmark that you're looking for. There you go. Well, and you also, it sounds like from this story, became sort of a nexus for what was going on. You became a, a point of lateral communication that people came to rely on as well. And I think that's equally valuable. If security are the ones that are in the know on the goings-on all over and can help connect people to solve problems more quickly, I'd say that's a win too. No, I completely agree. Some of the times it was quite funny because you'd often find out what the employees were doing before their line management knew what they were doing. Right. Which was good because you could actually help them solve a problem without them either presenting a bad solution to the management. They could go and present a solution that was either in accordance with policy or, hey, look, we've already got the rubber stamp from security that says, yes, it's all good. I love it. So that being the case, you're helping to bypass starting off on the wrong foot. You're giving them credibility with their line management. But as you bubble that up, the perspective I'm always thinking of from the CISO level is, you know, risk tolerance and conformity with that tolerance, right? So how does open door security help you at that level? It's a great question. You know, any organization will have, a, you know, a form of controls to help meet its baseline for its operations. In some organizations and, and more so in the military, they're typically quite restrictive, but for very good reason to protect the organization. But any organization exists to take risk and develop. And, you know, there's always going to be people within the organization that want to challenge the status quo. So while sometimes, you know, you'll see some things that you're like, oh, I'm not really comfortable with what you're doing, but, you know, Talk to me anyway, and let's work on a solution. You would find out much more what was going on in the organization. And and rather than being a you know a security officer CISO and having this perceived level of risk that was was in the organization that your systems and tools, you know, were telling you, you've actually got the human intelligence side of it whereby perhaps they've there's a little bit of shadow IT that started because they need to get going with a particular project. And you could help them improve the security and try and get it to conform to certain standards if you needed to. But ultimately, what you were doing, you would have that knowledge within the organization, which previously you would never have had because of your open door security policy. But then you'd also be able to shape the solution and support the organization to take sensible decisions. And with the policy, you could then start talking, you know, well, hold on a minute, you know, you've needed to go away and do this for this reason. And maybe our controls are not quite right for what you want to do. Maybe we need to revisit and, and look at our own risk tolerances and baseline controls and, and go from there. So 
like anything, it's a bit of a balancing act, but you would have more information that, you know, helps inform your decision. But also, you know, later on down the line, you can take that information to the board and say, well, you know, look, this organization, this department's developing this whole new bespoke thing that's doing something completely new. And we need to change what we're doing. We need a little bit of investment here. Perhaps we can reduce some investment there and really present a problem to the board that shows that security is in touch at the leading edge of IT rather than being at, oh, I forgot to include security on this project. We've got one week to get it out. Please, can you give it a rubber stamp? Okay. <laughs> so sh- shifting perceptions and reorienting security in the organization, I guess. I like that. So we promise on this show to offer the human perspective on cybersecurity. What's your dog's name? So my dog's called Rex, and he is a Sprocker Spaniel. So he's one year old, and he's making a hell of a noise, probably because somebody's come to the door. <laughs> right. My sheepadoodle Shiner, he's got a black eye, hence the name Shiner. He's the same. All right, folks, that's it. You got to hear the dog story. All right, let's switch back to topic at hand. I'm going to pivot on a prior question. We talked about how open-door policy worked in the military. We talked about security saves lives and people have an initial investment. There's a saying you guys have over there, no plan survives first contact, right? This is a, a, an expression in the British military. You brought this to the civilian world without this factor of such a security-conscious culture and without this factor of security saves lives. So how did the whole open-door thing translate when you first hopped the fence to the civilian world? I took a little bit of time to transition from the military to civilian industry. So it was a few years in the making. And what that did give me the opportunity to do was learn a lot about the civilian role of a CISO and information security manager, but also translate the language and the things we were doing relative to an organization. So that was probably one of the things I started doing before I left the military, so to speak, to to sort of translate some of that. And then I think that any organization has employees, has departments, you know, that wants to push the limits, push the boundaries. You know, they exist, I think, everywhere. And they exist for the right reason to grow and develop the business. And I guess it comes back to, you know, challenging the status quo. The other thing that I found that people always have a negative perception of security, whether that was in the military or even in my current role. For me, it kind of it was kind of a logical transition. And it kind of came naturally without any real barriers, because I guess the problem sets in from the military to civilian are still the same. Like I said, you know, as people want to challenge the status quo and push the limits of what we're doing, there's always that slightly negative perception at different levels within the business about security. And when you come into the to a new business or an organization and you approach it this way, you can actually get people to go, did security really just not say no and did they really say something else? Yeah. <laughs> Did they actually provide some guidance, you know, or something a little bit different? So that was that was an interesting aspect. So for me, it was a you know a fairly seamless transition, both from the military to civilian, but also taking this approach and lifting it from one very strict organisation to you know to perhaps a more permissive environment. It's good to hear that it works in both sides of that fence. That's really impressive. Hey everyone, it's me, Simone Biles. You might be wondering why you're hearing my voice on a cybersecurity podcast ad. Well, it's because I'm partnering with Axonius. Whether you're a gymnast like me, or an IT or security pro, complexity is inevitable. And I've learned that the key to success is focusing on what you can control. Go check out my video at axonius.com slash Simone. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash S-I-M-O-N-E. So let's talk more about metrics of success. With this whole policy, have you been able to grow your team? 
I was charged actually with setting up the security function within the organization. You know, security always existed and the organization was designed and would the architecture was done with security in mind. So there was there was a very, you know, good baseline. As the situation that, you know, threats change, the security team needed needed to grow and start. We've grown to a, you know, a small team, just six now in 12 months, which is great. I'd always like more, and I'm sure most CISOs in a similar position would always ask for more. But the team is small but capable, and everybody is on the same page, right? So because we take this approach and, you know, I make sure that my team understands the approach. If we don't help the organization do what they want to do, they're going to do it anyway. We just won't know about it. With the best will in the world, people will just do stuff. And whether they do it either a shadow IT or on their personal devices, I think that people will always naturally want to do that sort of stuff. But if you work with the team and every time they find a problem, they learn some more about the problem, but then they share that essentially with the team. And typically we don't say no. I'm not saying we'll never say no, because sometimes some of the things you you know you find out, you really need to get the organization to consider what they're doing. But we look for ways to do it better and you know this really engages the team cognitively but it makes them part of the solution and and not the problem so the team's grown you know in 12 months to six today which is fantastic but i think more importantly it's their attitude towards security problems and you know it's it relates back to i think one of the previous podcasts that there's always these negative connotations in security and negative perceptions about security and you know security is always doom and gloom but actually we're part of the solution, not the problem. And that's the approach the team takes. And the team seemed to be happy. Right on. It does get a little bit busy sometimes because rather than just holding up the policy and saying, no, we can't do that because it's in this policy here, it does take more time. We find out much, much more so directly, you know, we spend more time helping people solve their problems. But what I ask the team to do is, you know, we keep records of this information, which ultimately helps me articulate to the board problems that we you know, we face and the changes and the trends within the organization that we see, which then can translate back into more resource to, you know, to tackle these problems and the new challenges we face. I call that whole approach being the Teflon and not being the frying pan to the face, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you gotta you gotta be the surface. They slide across as they progress on their little business journey. And Shadow IT has come up quite a few times in this one too. And 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 I have to say, I've changed my name for that. I no longer call it shadow IT. I call it business aligned IT. And the automatic <laughs> implication there is people wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't more rapidly and more successfully aligned with whatever the heck their business mission is, whatever goal they have, they're not willy-nilly deploying new IT infrastructure behind the CIO's back. They're they're doing it because it speeds up their goals and their needs as whatever their role in the business is, right? And so the challenge I think you're describing here with Open Door is you're trying to take your security program and you're trying to also align with those business goals. If somebody says, I've got to very quickly get X, Y, and Z done, and they've already spun up a server they shouldn't have spun up, or they've they've paid for some cloud instance with a credit card, you've got to be there as the security guy to help escort them the right way, but without telling them flat out no, right? How do you deal with those moments where you're super tempted to say no? How do you you tackle that? (laughs) It's a great question. I mean, you're right. You know, sometimes you speak to an employee and, you know, what they're doing and on their business IT, which, which is entirely right. Hold on a minute. You're doing what with that data and it's where? You always have to pause and <laughs> and think about it. But 
how could we do it better? How could we provision this more securely? I think ultimately, you're right. Sometimes the activities in an employer department, they don't just violate policy, they also violate regulation. In cases like that, typically, it's not just a no, thank you very much, and then move on to the next problem. It's a no, this is the reason for it. And sometimes going into a little bit about why this legislation came around, about from maybe news articles or things that have been been in the media over the years and and why it's important that, you know, either we must abide by it or, we, you know, we follow that particular rule. So, yeah, there is a, sometimes there is a, <laughs> a real urge to say no. <laughs> I think once we have done in in the last 12 months, but actually it still comes down to the, you know, being honest and straightforward with the employees and, and transparent and saying, look, you know, we can see what you're trying to do here. Don't do it this way because of X, Y, and Z, but actually use this system over here that we've already got, you know, when it comes back to connecting those dots in the different silos and plug your thing into that in this particular way, go and speak to that person over there. We've said no for the particular way that they were wanting to do something, but we've also provided at least a person or a point of contact and a potential solution, albeit, you know, maybe a five-minute conversation and who they can go and speak to to help them on their quest to improve whatever they were trying to improve. So So we're back to that value of security as lateral connector, right? Of With that open door policy, you get to know everyone in the business, you get to know what everyone is up to, and now you can refer people to each other. Yep. And instead of security becoming the office with the door shut, (laughs) you're the one people go to to say, hey, do you know anybody who's doing blah, blah, that could help me with blah, blah. And and you actually actually become that critical communication nexus. You become the glue for the organization with this open door policy. Yeah. We had a compliance requirement come in the other day, actually, you know, whereby they, you know, one of the businesses needed some compliance requirements for operations in Australia. And then we were able to connect them up to some people within their own organization, as well as our organization, obviously within our group of organizations. And actually, we should be able to come up with a robust way of implementing this particular framework in Australia that meets the business needs, you know, in a streamlined fashion. And not only have they got the the IT department's way of doing that, they've also got a connector inside of their business that's done this already in a different part of the world. They can learn how their business did it, their business line specifically did it, but they can also learn and get the assistance of IT to, to help implement that particular framework. So it, yeah, to it being that sort of glue that helps everything get together, it can be quite satisfying as well. Security is corporate matchmaker. <laughs> and it's always nice to see when they hold hands and walk off into the sunset and you know, you match them well. <laughs> All right. So you earlier said handrail. And that's a metaphor I want to drill into a little bit. There's a philosophy behind that, as I understand it, you know, from our earlier conversations that that a handrail is perhaps a step on a security journey. Like, what's your take on the handrail metaphor there? Security is there to protect the organization, both from external threats and internal threats, you know, from itself and all that good stuff. And security, you know, we we help put the handrails on where the, the road the organization wants to take and make sure they stay within the bounds and whatever those bounds may be in different parts of the world and or industries that they work in. But the handrail is, you know, is just that. It's, it's a handrail and, you know, and, you know, might be twists and turns on the path to where the organization's going, which means, you know, security must be flexible and sometimes bend. Ultimately, they stay up to meet, you know, organizational risk tolerance levels in particular areas. But yeah, this handrail concept, you know, is it's there. You walk up the stairs. You Most people wouldn't walk up the stairs without holding a handrail. Right. So it's, you know, it's kind of there to provide that, you know, just in case when it's there is it that safety net. Not everybody will use it, but uh, <laughs> it's there just in, in case. So that's that's kind of where it, it comes from, really. I like that. It's a step towards full security. It may not be a complete solution, but it's 
It's something. And more importantly, we're back to that Teflon metaphor. A handrail helps you travel down the stairs. It doesn't block you from traveling down the stairs. Absolutely. I like this a lot. All right. So I have a new question for the end of show question. You will be the very first guest to answer the new question. The new question that I'm going to start asking every guest on the show is, if you could wave a magic wand and change anything you wanted in cybersecurity, what would that be? <laughs> Great question, Alan. I was just thinking about this last night, actually, and looking at it. I think um, one of the things that I'm quite passionate about is kind of security awareness training. And it kind of comes back to that, you know, home and in the office mm-hmm. of training people. And I think over the years, you know, and helping people in, in different levels in IT and different organizations, you know, whether that be with an IT problem or a security problem, I think one thing that's lacking, you know, and I think it's maybe a generational problem is like a baseline understanding for everybody of what cybersecurity is. I'm not just talking about organizational mandatory training that we they must do we have to but i'm you know, i'm talking about everyone at home and in work having a real relative understanding of, of cyber security and, and the risks and what that means so it's not just a you know complete this mandatory training and get some knowledge it's about everybody having a you know a fundamental understanding of cyber security within their work environment but also their home environment you know and how do we you know protect our homes from certain threats but it's not just that, you know, it's our, it's our data, it's our family. That's kind of what I'd go for. And if all of these people had this real baseline understanding of cybersecurity and the threats, security practitioners' job would be much easier. But actually, I think people would really have a better understanding of technology and, you know, how to use technology more effectively. So I'd go for that. Total win. I like that. All right. Well, James Allen McLean and Rex... Thank you all so much for coming on down to the Cyber Ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.